Hello everybody, once again here is Yasid with Chasing Encounters episode 2 for our podcast this week. A little bit chilly this week, very cold in Toronto these days, but not surprising this is how always has been here, very cold Canadian weather. We have an interesting topic for today. We'll be talking about community and communities of practice and how um, these communities have helped us build ourselves as scholars and as people. So today we have a special guest and her name is Mama. She's also from the University of Toronto. She's from Ghana, but I want her to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself. Welcome, Mama. Thank you, Yaseed. Yeah, it's a privilege to be on this um, episode of Chase and Encounter. So thank you so much. My name is Mama Adovia Nio, and I'm in the third year of my PhD in Language and Literacy Education and Comparative Education Policy at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. And for the past three years, I have been studying how Ghana has implemented educational language policy for minority language speakers. I also lead a think tank for indigenous language research and revitalization, and it is based in Ghana. It is called the Afroliteracies Foundation, and it has a network of 10 local educators. I was born and grew up in Ghana, and I did my undergraduate studies in political science and Spanish from the University of Ghana. I've also studied um, in Cuba and in Spain and I did my um, grad studies in the United States at Ohio University. Nice. That sounds like a lot of experience you're bringing today to us and to our communities. So speaking about communities, tell us a little bit more or more details about your family mm-hmm. and your community back in Ghana so we can understand a little bit of the background that uh, where you're coming from. Hmm. So I grew up in a very big family, I would say, because, you know, the extended family system in the part of the world where I come from in sub-Saharan Africa is uh, a very um, popular thing, you know. So I would say that my family was not the conventional type of family. I grew up (laughs) um, with my mom most of the time. She was a single mom. Um, She had three girls. But at the same time, um, I also have siblings on my father's side, but we didn't really get to bond as well until after I grew up. And um, I grew up in a, a very big house with my uncles, my aunties. It was a family house. It was my grandfather's house that he had built before he died. And so I pretty much grew up with most of my cousins and um also, neighboring kids. We had a very big compound where all the kids in the neighborhood would come to play. And so I would say that is where my sense of community developed. Right, when you were children. Yes. Right, playing yes, together as, yes, as yes. family, but also yes. as, as friends in the neighborhood. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that friendship, that relationship with your community in Ghana. Mm. How, it's, uh, how was it? How, was it strong? How has affected or affected you when you were a child and now maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can say that because of that, um, the, the, the diverse nature of that community and that context in which I grew up, 
um, I began to, I grew up seeing the world through languages. I will tell you that most of the language just that I learned how to speak besides my own native language was because I grew up in this community of, um, of I grew up in this very linguistically plural community where people spoke all kinds of languages. Um, there was tree, fancy, Hausa, Ewe. In my family itself, I would say, is um, linguistically diverse. And so there were a number of languages that were spoken. And then my mom also has cousins, distant cousins from Togo who would come visit. And so there was also French, you know, so that's where I got introduced to, you know, the idea of a foreign language. Even before I went to school, I knew that there was a language called French, even though um, the most popular language, foreign language in Ghana at that time was English. But yeah, because I grew up in a compound house full of children from other ethnic groups who spoke different languages, I also learned their languages. And by learning their languages, it wasn't just gaining a new friend, but gaining insights into their stories and their cultures and a whole new way of thinking about my place in the world, you know. And um, one author that I often reference is Franz Fanon. And he talks about language from a very psychoanalytic perspective. And he says that to speak is to carry the weight of a civilization. And I think that um, everyone who speaks a language carries, you know, a civilization. And the fact that I speak five languages, for example, I think it implies that I carry the weight of many civilizations, you know? Well, Mama, I am so happy and so thrilled to hear what you just say, what you said about languages in connection with community and i'm also glad that you mentioned fanon and uh, ideas of communities stories and cultures and the idea of that languages carry a civilization i never thought about it but it is real absolutely like the fact that you're carrying a language or languages is not that they are isolated right mm -hmm. you're carrying a whole baggage of culture yes civilization and civilization yeah, i never just, thought about it yeah histories centuries it's interesting of because right because i was born in colombia and south america and the languages that i speak now is english and and spanish but obviously my home language was spanish uh -huh. and i never thought it about me carrying a spanish civilization absolutely and because now i am thinking on the colonial ideas and the colonial theories yeah so i'm carrying this civilization absolutely that i was never part of it exactly that it was imposed exactly. to myself exactly. whether in your case exactly you're bringing uh i would say authentic civilization which is african yeah cultures well you I, I don't i guess you could say i'm bringing an authentic civilization which comprises of the african culture but remember the african civilization has also been influenced by centuries of um colonialism and so we also carry the weight of these um imperial civilizations i would say you know it's only that we are we translate it in our way of speaking and in our way of um in, in a way of perceiving those worlds now differently, you know, but we carry that weight. Some some of those weights um, um, imply that we carry the trauma, you know, um, but then sometimes it also means, implies that we see um, the communities in these other worlds from a completely different perspective, you know, yeah. Right. Do you think, in your opinion and based on your experience, that... Uh the 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 effects of Western civilization in Ghana has affected somehow 
the sense of community, like let's say African community as opposed to Western community and how Western community affected Ghana community? Absolutely. I would say, for example, you know, I spoke about the concept of the extended family system as something that was very common to Ghana. But with modernization and with the acceptance of, you know, westernization, I would say that that has been watered down, where now a lot of um, Ghanaian people are starting to think about family in different ways. They're starting more to um, see the idea of the nuclear family as more, as also acceptable, you know, Um and that that has changed. That that is not that is not um, a concept that um, I would say was African because that was a bit isolationist. Because you haven't just just thinking about your nuclear family and not um, uh, considering the extended family was um, tantamount to um, I would say killing off the other members of the family right. or um, or ignoring them or, 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 or neglecting that their existence and, you know, the experience that they carried from that blood tie was not as relevant to you any longer. That's true. I mean, I, I think I agree with you 100% because for from where I'm coming from, in Colombia and because I most of my work is actually working with communities mm -hmm. right like marginalized communities around the world in Latin America here in Canada and also in the United States but mainly referring to Colombia how cultures in Colombia and um, communities in Colombia at least for what I perceive in my work in Latin America and Colombia as well we are we work together yeah. we care about each other a lot we we call people in the streets friends yeah. we, and true friends right and something that I don't see much in other North American cultures as, as this has been uh, so independent they say that the North American cultures or Anglo-Saxon cultures are, are independent and they just care about themselves and not necessarily about community. Uh, I don't know to what extent this is true or false, but what I can say is that in Latin America or in the Global South, for my experience, I have noticed that our communities are stronger and supported, supportive of each other and other people's friends, relatives, uh, neighbors, etc. Yeah, and rightly so, Yassid. But you know, I think when we talk about having com um, living in community it's not just for that system um, for that system of support but it's also for other very important institutions in society like education communities are also there to um, pass on shared knowledge you know and um and and uh, and the epistemologies of a particular group so i would say that the fact that the extended family system in ghana for example that i see as a, a form of community um, it's being watered down, has had a lot of implications for um, the socialization of kids into society and for their own education. And that's one of the um, areas in which I would see this happening is the area of language. That's why um, even today, Ghanaian languages are not being passed down in the right way that they should be in Ghana because the people who would usually pass down these languages um, are no longer do, no longer have that same um, presence in the family. So my grandparents were people that I learned language from. And remember, language carries all kinds of things. It carries, as I said, it carries 
the weight of a civilization it carries um the 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 poetry you know uh, songs about he heroes and heroic acts and history facts about um your um your tr facts about the the civilizations um i would say ways of doing things medicine clothing um and all these things all the, all these um lessons that need to be passed down are now at risk of being lost because that sense of community now is changing because of a lot of westernization i'm not saying that modernization doesn't come with benefits it does it comes at the risk of um it comes with risks i would say yes i you i know. think I, I agree with you in a sense that that um that our communities have been in danger for many years and I've been reading a lot of uh, work of Boaventura de Sousa Santos, for mm -hmm. example, and uh, uh, Silvia Rivera Cusicanqui from Bolivia. And just to name some. Yes, Mama, I completely agree with you with this idea that our communities have been at risk, have been endangered by Western civilizations, in which when they bring modernity to our communities, some of those traditions may be lost. The idea of passing on stories, songs, cultural practices. Sometimes they are lost because of civilization or Western civilization or modernity, right? And I sometimes feel fearful that, that um, this may continue. And that's why it's so important, the work that you do with your community in terms of revitalizing the languages or reinforcing the languages in uh, your community. So that being said, uh, now that we're talking about community, is there a way that you could define community? If we were to define, to conceptualize the idea of community, what would you understand by community? Hmm, that's a very big question, Yasid. But uh, I mean, a community I would say it's a group of people who have shared interests and they have a shared goal that they want to work towards, you know. But at the same time, they could also be a group of people who do not have shared interests per se, but they are tied together by uh, a special bond. It could be uh, a familial bond, it could be a linguistic bond, it could be uh, 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 a, re a research bond, you know, because we have <laughs> I have my research community here. It could also be the bond of schooling, you know, creating these and, and or friendship. Um, so I guess I, I still it, I think it comes back down right. to the whole idea of having something that you share in common. I like that because that's one of the reasons why you and I are here together today. Well, and in grad school, and I have met you. And, I, and we shared certainly some common ideas and some common interests, mm -hmm. right? And that interest is language, is language education, mm -hmm. is minorities education, indigenous languages education, etc. And that being said, I agree with you with the idea of community as being something or a group of people who share a profession or something. And that being said, it came to my mind the idea or the concept of uh, what John Lee, Lee and uh, Etienne Wegner, 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 Wegner. Uh, came up with the idea of communities of practice, right? And communities of practice, or the idea of communities of practice has been around for so long, like at least 20, 25 years. 
and somehow it has permeated into our daily lives and our daily professions in education, in our work, as, as we engage, right, with collectives of people who share a similar domain, uh, and for us is this similar domain is um, language, language education, and now research, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea of research for us is so important, especially for you and me, because we both belong to a community of practice, mm. right? And then here I am talking about the, the network that we both belong in, which we talk about um, research, we talk about also how we support each other from around the world, right? Mm -hmm. So the Network for Critical Action Research uh, in Education, it's a, it's a network that we both belong and then we both uh, support each other. So tell us a little bit about um, how you feel belonging to this community. Hmm. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Yusid. So. Uh, the network of critical action researchers in education has been a very supportive community, I think, for my for the conceptualization of my own research, and also um, for the support of my um, personal engagement with um, re language revitalization research in my community. And I would say that um, having a group of people who have the same passions about education and all kinds of experiences um, have informed my own understanding of um, how research can be conducted with um, a community, you know, and especially how research can be applied outside of, you know, academia. And so um, that has um, definitely served as a format, a kind of, a, a, that, that platform is, is a more formative platform for me. Uh, at the same time, it has also given me partnerships that I think are essential for any researcher to have in terms of um, being able to um, collaborate and um, send out papers together to research conferences, um, also getting feedback for the kind of work that you do um, so that you do not have to um, be on your own, you know, and also um, being able to learn from someone else's experiences so that you do not have to reinvent the wheel. So I would say that NCARE has been um, almost essential to, you know, my, my work. As Fundamental, I would say, especially for my work, and especially because one of the advantages that I see in any community of practice, but especially NCARE, the Network of Critical Action Researchers in Education, mm -hmm. is the collaborative learning process. Absolutely. You and other folks, we all are in a process of thinking together, right? Yeah. And that's essential for our knowledge mm -hmm. so to speak mm -hmm. because i believe we are not isolated we are not isolated human beings that we learn on our, on our own and in our little cubicles nope. but we think together right yeah. and i've been reading a lot about this uh, when boaventura de sousa santos the portuguese scholar who talks about a lot about indigenous peoples and and how they treat knowledges as community knowledges not only one necessary thing but, but a communal thing, 
In other words, there is no one person who holds specific knowledge. And I quote, we cannot speak of one sole inventor or owner of knowledge, but rather of collective forms of knowledge that belong to the people as a whole. Thus, the idea of an individual or inventor simply does not exist for them, for some indigenous communities. I'm not saying all of them, but some, some indigenous communities, and especially other people as well. Mm -hmm. The idea of one person bearing the knowledge is not possible. Mm -hmm. But we can see it here in the work that you do, the work that I do, the work we do in different communities. We support each other and help each other creating and co-creating knowledge. I wonder, now that we have talked about uh, this community of practice, I wonder if you, Mama, you belong to other communities that you want to share with us. Yeah, so you see, as I said earlier on in my introduction, I do belong to a community of practice, I would say. Um, it's called the Afroliteracies Foundation, and the Afroliteracies Foundation is a think tank for indigenous African languages that uh, I founded in Ghana. And um, we engage Africa's linguistic diversity using a pluralist approach wow. because we want to advance equal education opportunities for children in Ghana. And our mission is to accelerate literacy for learners in African communities. Nice. And we also want to promote indigenous African languages so these languages can become easily accessible in teaching and learning. So with, um, with the aim of doing, with, with that, what we want to do is be able to leverage a network of um, educators, language educators, who can do this, do this kind of work charitably and revitalize indigenous languages and innovate mother tongue-based bilingual syllabi, syllabus so for, for use in education. So that is what I, I am currently doing with the Afrolitracies Foundation. And I have learned um, in this community, and I'm constantly learning about um, indigenous languages, even about my own language, you know. Um, and I know that it's because we have these um, periodic um, interactions that we both learn more about our language and our backgrounds and our culture and um, oh. yeah. No, it's so interesting. I'm so glad to hear that because Afro-literacies and, and care, we both uh, belong to these communities, but also our communities related to friends or relatives, people who we, we also care, they become our part of our community, right? Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you can think of a, an event or an idea or an example of how your family as a community have supported you both personally and academically. Mm, yeah, well, you know, my family has always been very supportive. Personally, you know, having to leave home a very um, after during my university studies to go and study in uh, a country other than Ghana it was something that was new I think I, I was probably the first person in my immediate family to um, have gone out to study abroad and in the beginning, my mom thought it was ridiculous that I was going to study Spanish because she said, no one speaks Spanish anywhere <laughs> close to Ghana. Why wouldn't you study French? This is a very Good ridiculous point. endeavor, you know. But she supported that. And um, ever since I've been back, um, she's encouraged the fact that I wanted to be a teacher because that was previously not one of my aspirations, you know. And so she watched me grow and change my um, 
my ambitions and she still supported that. I would say that my sister and her family have also been very supportive, traveling um, to my graduation you know, ceremony to support me and to cheer me on. Um, professionally, um, I guess that my grandmother, my late grandmother, has been a source of inspiration as well for me. I always say my mom has been a source of inspiration because she has shown me um, that when you have education, it's your duty to be able to use it to impact society and, you know, change the lives of people who do not have the same opportunities that you have. But my grandmother, I would say, has been a source of inspiration to doing the kind of work that I do professionally and in community because she um, had a school. She ran a school in um, in the local language. I would say it was a bilingual school and it was only until I was exposed to the concept of bilingualism and bilingual education professionally as a teacher that I said, wow, she, I see her as more of someone who was a trailblazer, you know, <laughs> for mother tongue, yeah, for mother tongue based bilingual education in Ghana. And I think that I'm, I'm following in her footsteps in, in some ways, you know, I hope I can do yeah. half as much as she did or even more. Wow. That's, just, that's very inspiring. I really like that answer because it reminds me exactly the same idea that happened to me, my mother as a source of inspiration for the work that I do mm -hmm. and the support that I had for the same reasons when I decided to travel to the United States to study mm -hmm. and to work, I got her support 100% and I see how important is my family and my community in taking decisions, in getting emotional support and being this source of inspiration for the work that I do which is, again, similar to yours related to marginalized people, racialized people, people who have been at the margins at all times. I have had that support from, from my family as well. So, again, just to, before we wrap up uh, today's conversation, the more we talk about these issues, and because we have talked about this in the past as well, is the idea that we are not alone and we will never be alone as uh, professionals, as scholars, as uh, uh, people, because we have the support from our families, from our communities, academic communities, our co-workers, uh, um, uh, the people who we hang out with, the people we go at the conference, etc. So we get that support. And for that reason, I believe there's no such thing as independent knowledge or isolated knowledge. But uh, there is this knowledge that we all constantly co-construct together. So that being said, I wonder if you have any last words related to community, family, knowledges, construction of knowledges, etc. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree with you. Um, that knowledgeists are co-constructed um, in most cases I would say because the the knowledge that we um, speak from is from a greater fund is from a, so, the, the, a social fund I would say yes, it's from a cultural yes. fund of knowledge you know um, it's a bank that we also draw from so when we grow up, we are socialized by our parents who have in turn been socialized by their parents. And, you know, and so it's hit centuries um, 
of of um, of information that are passed down to us, but then some people do not get um, that opportunity. You know, it depends on the context in which you grow up, and then you also create knowledge or you 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 gain knowledge from by association. The the your social capital also gives you knowledge about um, life. You know. Um, with the exception of perhaps I would say hermit philosophers who right. discovered <laughs> um, knowledge, you know, on their own by being very um, introspective and isolating themselves from sure. society. But even with that, they had something with which to compare the knowledge that they gained, um, exactly. you know, with. And so that 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 idea of co-constructed knowledge is something that I think it's 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 universal. Um, at the same time. Um, it's true, you know. Yes, I think, I think I love the way the this metaphor of the hermit, isolated in a isolated cave, trying mm-hmm. to ponder and think about what's happening. So um, to wrap up this session, I think I would like to invite our folks and our listeners to not be that hermit <laughs> on a cave, trying to figure things out because that is painful, <laughs> academically painful. So I invite other folks out there to reach out to our communities, our families, your close friends, your roommates, people in the streets, there to ask questions out there and mm-hmm. start creating your communities, communities of support, uh, both emotionally and professionally, because we have learned today, based on a mama's conversation today, that we are not alone and we survive together. No man is an island. Exactly. So Mama, thank you so much for being today in this conversation and you have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you. It was lovely being here, chatting with you. Bye. Bye. How do you say goodbye in Ga? Uh, manabo. Say it again? Manabo. I mean, see you later. Great. <laughs> see you later. <laughs>